Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into today is 2010's The Town versus 2013's Now You See Me. Keenan, how are we doing today? Warm. It is warm. It seems to get muggy this afternoon. but mm, It did. I think there'll be a storm. I'm, uh, I'm no fanning it, so we'll see how we go. Um, News of the week this week, five headlines. More interesting, I'd say, than the last couple of weeks. Nothing on uh, the latest Barbie film this week, which I've seen Zendaya's now attached to. Um, But Barbara Broccoli says there will be a long wait for James Bond's return as they have nobody in the running currently. Fair enough. Uh, Final Destination 6 will break the classic franchise formula, the creator has said. I didn't even know there were five of them. I was going to ask if you'd seen them. Uh, you not? You don't really like Gore, do you? No, it's, it's, I, I'm not. It's hard to describe. I've seen, what's the one I've seen? What's the one with the, um, I think I've only ever seen one of them. Most people have seen the roller coaster one. That's the one I've seen. Is that number yeah, three? the third one, yeah. Yeah, some bear gets fucking burnt to death in... Um, Tannin, tannin bed. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, I do like those films, so I'll be tuning in. The first one's like an aeroplane or something, is it? Not? Yeah. Second, second one is... No, it's the thing with uh, stuff coming off the back of a car. So it's on, it's on like a motorway, basically, and a number of things happen on there. Oh, or a highway, as they would say. Um <laughs> James Cameron is already defending Avatar 2's runtime. He says, fucking Jesus. I don't want anybody whining about the length when they sit and binge watch television for eight hours. I could almost write this part of the review already. The agonizingly long three-hour movie. It's like, give me a fucking break. I've watched my kids sit and do five one-hour episodes in a row. Here's the big social paradigm shift that has to happen. It's okay to get up and go pee. Yeah, fair enough. That is literally it. That's what people moan about in the cinema. Yeah. And you, if you're watching it at home, it is what it is, isn't it? And you're just a bit comfier when you're watching five hours of something at home compared to five hours in one seat in the cinema. I always suppose so, but certain films need to be watched in the cinema. For sure. Um, I'm not saying Avatar 2. No, no, as we, no. As, we, as we said, not we're not great lovers of numero uno. He's already started preempting it, and he was like, "Look, for sure, it's a risk when you commit to doing like four of these already. Uh, if we were to lose just thirty percent from the first film, it, w- it really would be a disaster." And it's like, mm, "I think you might be." Uh, Didn't the first one do a billion? It's what is it between that and Titanic is the two biggest films ever? Yeah, I I, I think you'll be K, mate. Yeah, I think you'll be all right. But he's already said, "I may not direct." the fourth and fifth ones. So, I mean, I don't know if he's sick of it already, but imagine what we'll be like after four of them. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I assume they've got a story in mind. But... Yeah, 
I read something today, and for one, I think the villains from the first film are coming back in some kind of sense, which makes sense, I guess. And they were saying they are expecting there to be quite a big drop-off because they say a lot of the viewers of the first one, you're sold on the experience of watching this film with the crazy effects and all of this. So even if it wasn't your type of film, people went to see it anyway. Yeah. And they were saying, how if you're selling it on the effects this time around, like... There's only so much better you can make effects. Like the big thing that they've brought in is underwater uh, motion capture for this one. And they're yeah. like, that isn't getting your 45 year old woman that had no interest previously in this. If you just pick the demographic that probably would have watched the first one the least, that's not getting them into the cinema the second time around. And I guess you're losing a, a a portion of people that just didn't like the first one. People didn't know if they were going to like the first one. There's got yeah. to be a collective of people that didn't like it and so won't come back. Well, we're part of that collective, and I can tell you, I will. Not I will watch it. Huh? I will watch it. I will tell you, unless you decide to do it for a future bracket, I won't. Do it. <laughs> and if you right. decide to do that, I know you're doing it just despite me. <laughs> I don't think we need to be doing that. Um, Kingsman 3 will begin filming next year, Taron Egerton has said. I Did I tell you I watched the prequel not so long ago? Okay, I've not seen that one. I heard bad things. Oh. Okay. I think they just said that the, the, the imagination that was so great from the first one seemed to be slowly coming out of it, but I've not seen it, to clarify. I can't oh. imagine it's a very reviewable film anyway. I thought it was quite good. I, 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 I've no doubt I'd enjoy it. They interwined. They had like Rasputin in it and stuff, and like just interwined okay, okay. random historical characters. Just I thought it just was quite. I quite understand that. It was good. I think having Ralph Fiennes as your man in it was. I don't know. He's a bit old, isn't he? I love him. Great yeah. actor, but I can't think which there was an actor recently that said. I think it might have been Ethan Hawke, who's basically like, well, the big difference between now and then is 10 years ago, we just didn't give a fuck about reviews. Like, like we wouldn't, someone would have to go out of their way to tell you their review of a film or you'd actually, or you'd have to actively go and look for it yourself. Like you, you wouldn't, it wouldn't just be a kind of, oh, I'm going to go and see that film. What's it like on IMDb? What's it like on Rotten Tomatoes? Like it is now. And that is a thing. Like, I always say, if there's something that I really like the look of, I'll actually try not to look on IMDb beforehand just so it can't put me off or build my expectations so high. I see. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm old. I don't. I don't want to say. It. Maybe I don't know if I'm old-fashioned or not, but I don't get it. I but usually do it for the runtime, to be fair. So I'm working out like what time to put it on or how long we how long I'm going to be in the cinema for. No, it just doesn't. I don't like if I'm going to go and see something, I'll go and see it. If, I, if I'm not going to go and see it, I'm not going to go and see it. It's like with um, like Spider Man, James Bond, all these big things. Like people, oh, I can't believe this has been spoiled. Neither one of them was spoiled for me. The cinema one isn't really uh, the issue for me. It's the films that I may or may not watch at home. I think it's very easy to be put off something that you could watch at home, which it should be the other way around because it's taking less time out of your day. But that seems to be the one for me. I can be more easily put off if I'm sticking it on at home. No, oh, I don't know. I'm either going to watch it or I'm not. Yeah. Well, final headline for this week, and one that you definitely would watch, 
Michael Mann says he does want to make Heat 2 as a movie, and that is his thought process when writing this novel. Comes out soon, September. Yeah, it does. He, he does acknowledge that he couldn't keep the same actors, which he knows would be an issue for a lot of people. But oh, he no, can't have Val Kilmer and uh, De Niro running around in where some of it is a prequel. He can't have them running around like what twenty years later when they're supposed to be six years younger. Yeah. Well, no, I don't, like. No. Would that have been nice? Yeah, absolutely. Is it a, is it a deal breaker for me personally? No. Do I think it's a deal breaker for the people who love the film? No. Does it worry you that maybe where the uh, Pacino saying he wants Timothy Chalamet to play him in a potential Heat remake came from? I don't know. I've never seen. Um, I've never seen like Timothy Chalamet. I, I I know who he is, but I don't think I've ever seen him acting anything. If I'd asked you last week to cast the next Pacino in a Heat sequel, would he have been anywhere near your top ten choices? Well, no, not. It's not to be this. Not for because it sounds like you're saying it's not a good idea. But I don't. What? I don't. He doesn't have I've that same seen, energy for me. I, I don't think I've ever seen him acting anything. I might be wrong, but. He's just the name I hear, but I don't know if I've ever seen him acting anything. He's still got the the kid actor vibe on him, and I don't know how old he is, but I imagine uh, so. Him and Zendaya are both in June, and they're both going to be in that bracket for a while. Where they're going to be twenty eight, and they're still going to look like they're nineteen. Oh, June, did you say? Yeah, I've not seen that. No, but I'm just saying they were both in that, no, no, so I, I that's going to be something. I get your point, but. I don't know. If you give me some time, to, you give me some time to think. I, I think I could come up with a list, but maybe that'll be ne- on on next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that is the headlines for this week. If we move on, then a film that we're very excited to talk about, and that is 2010's The Town. I'm thinking about you gonna change some things. You got to deal with yourself. My guys can handle it without me. I hear you got a nice, sweet new girlfriend. I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later, and we're gonna hurt some people. Whose car we gonna take? Move, move. The town rated R starts September seventeenth. A proficient group of thieves rob a bank and hold Claire, the assistant manager, hostage. Things begin to get complicated when one of the crew members falls in love with Claire. I was speaking to someone that hadn't seen this film in the week and I sent them that synopsis and I realised that actually gives quite a horrible portrait of the kind of film that it is. Do you think? Well, it, it focuses on it being more of a love story than it is a heist movie when it feels like more of the opposite to me. When I think of heist movies, I think of that. I don't think of this when I think of like... I guess I don't can't think of many romantic thrillers, but that wouldn't be what would come in my head. No, I uh, I get your point, but I mean, for not a large, but for a significant enough portion of the film, is interesting. Uh, rules the narrative rules a the narrative and also sure. controls the direction the film takes. So it's not like some of the synopses are just wild, but that's that's pretty much spot on. I do think uh, I do think when it's all said and done, calling them a proficient set of robbers is <laughs> quite insulting, to be honest. But well, what do you think the critics thought of this? 
Uh, I reckon this knocks out of the park. Eight <laughs> out of ten. Um, the performances are lively, and the set pieces, particularly the masks, which are a touch. Butchered that. I thought this week's going to be my week, and uh, there we go. The punctuation throws me off. The performances are lively, and the set pieces, particularly the masks, which are a perfect touch, are memorable. If you could see the punctuation in front of me here, it is. Well, just slow down whilst you're reading it. It doesn't have to be at 100 miles an hour. Look. We book out an evening for this. No of us have got anywhere to be. No, I just, I, I, I like to, I used to always think I could do the auto cue easy. Um, they had a thing at GL1 years ago when I was a kid. I say kid, probably early teenager. Hmm. And if the BBC were there and you were able to sit in the news chair and they put the teleprompter on hmm. and you read it out, they filmed you and they gave you on a VHS tape your news performance and so you that's telling you how old it was so that's why i'm the the age is kind of i'm reconsidering it now i remember I it being like a vhs tape because that would have been 20, 2009 and i promise you the vhs's were long gone that's why i said i'm reconsidering the age now that mm. i remember it was a vhs but it was definitely a vhs they weren't burning off dvds for you um, but i got through that with ease and now i can't remember the news story to be able to say whether it was easier than these critics reviews but ever since i've just thought it must be one of the easiest jobs and the further we get into this podcast the worse i seem to be getting so yeah either i'm punch drunk maybe or my uh career as a newscaster was short-lived yeah, very short-lived. We bashed it, banged it out on the adrenaline, and now, now that it's become the reality, it's exactly. just not there for you. So, a Boston native, Affleck clearly has an understanding of the ins and outs of the neighbourhood, and like Gone Baby Gone, he brings that area to the screen with a rich story and strong characters. Never seen Gone Baby Gone. Nor have I, and it's referenced a lot here, which is somewhat of an issue. Well, it's a it's a Ben Affleck film that he directed set in Boston, so it's always going to have it's always going to be referenced at some point. Yeah, this is what the third Boston slash Irish American film we've done in this bracket already. This Run All Night Departed. Oh, and um, and Black Mass, so four. Black Mass, yeah. Sorry, oh, I forgot about Black Mass. Huh. A lot of Dreadful. people do. Disrespectful. Dreadful. That's harsh. Dreadful's harsh. Yeah, it's not. Come on, you know, you, you know, I don't love it. No, but dreadful. Dreadful's um, master and commander. No, that's that's <laughs> that's a that's an abomination. That's far worse than dreadful. What have we got next? So this isn't fresh exactly, but it is tense and exciting and well performed, and you do end up caring about the people you've been manipulated into caring about. I ask you. What more could you want from a trip to the cinema? I think that's one of the best reviews we've had in a long time. <laughs> did you do that, or did you pick that up offline? I, I picked that up off, off uh, <laughs> offline. I think I could have come straight from you, the way it was, the way it was written. Well, Rotten Tomatoes never got back to me after for accrediting Movie Madness to be movie critics for them, so they clearly aren't fans of our work. We'll maybe keep fighting with, uh, the maybe, good fight. Maybe with our newfound, uh, our new newfound TikTok. So let's maybe you can give it another go. 
There's no uh, point me doing it because 70% of it, yeah, it's all right, give it a go. We got next. The town hits not one false note, despite a plot that easily could have come across as contrived. And finally, disproving theories on the inability of male multitasking, Ben Affleck skillfully acts, writes, and directs the town. Probably not doing any of them simultaneously. He's already written it. When he's acting, he's acting... Well, there's stories about him directing with like the nun mask on and people not being able to keep a straight face and having to have a word with him. You're going to need to kind of separate the two here. It's hard to take you seriously when you're dressed in tactical armor and a nun's mask. I don't know. I, I, I sometimes think he seems like a great bloke, and other times not so much. I think he does. I think he does seem like a great guy. So um, you, you, but your problem is you fall in love with his relationship history. No, in fact, I disagree with it. What do you mean? I disagree on him saying goodbye to Ana de Armas to go back to Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, but I mean, come on. Yeah, there's no way to have this conversation without it. me having to use the usual phrase, so I'll steer clear. Yeah, yeah, well, you've... I like once it's becoming a little bit like almost like a segment now. That's what I mean. <laughs> and I don't hope one, 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 uh, during one podcast. One, once a week during our podcast you're going to turn into you're going to turn into to a pig it's just course, I might save that for later on then I feel like the, the conclusion of last week's episode hopefully was like the peak and so it's only downhill from there no like the piggishness kind of veers away no it's what you it's what you are it's what you're good at it's what I am blimey so let's speak first about the making of the town and kind of how we got to this point so Ben Affleck pointed out that the the flood of Boston movies around the time both could have worked for or against the town. You had uh, Mystic River had come out, uh, The Departed, Gone Baby Gone that we've already mentioned. Um, the Massachusetts area was becoming more of a hotspot than it was your standard New York City movie. And so he said people could be more familiar with it, they could have a taste for it, or it could be we can't make this film now without being compared to Clint Eastwood's Scorsese and his probably best work to date. So they end up with a budget of around $37 million for this. And Mm -hmm. he manages to just make this classic heist film that appeals to everyone both in and out of the area because I guess how respectful they've been. They keep the thick Boston accents he he references an article that I think was in maybe like the Phoenix Herald or something like that. And they say it's the worst Boston accents they've heard in a film. And he points out that if, if this had come from a paper within Boston, I'd take it more seriously. Yeah. The issue is they've probably been hearing so many awful Boston accents or so many watered down Boston accents yeah, yeah, that people yeah. just don't really understand quite what a thick accent this is when it's not being just like made fun out of on film. Yeah. And so he said he he's more than happy with the accents that they were, they were able to get out here. If anything, he said they would rather not take their first choice actor if they couldn't nail the accent down because what is the like point that. in doing a Boston film if someone can't do a Boston accent? No, no, I like that. I always, I, I, I do think that was, I, I, it's easy for me to say now, it's never really said it before, but I do think this a lot. Like, Joe, we've done some conversations on accents. We did one last week. 
mainly with these Boston ones. Mainly with these Boston ones when you look at the departed. But even with the like, Irish accent and stuff as well, just like if you're, if we've said it before actually on pods, like unless it's central to the character, like it, it absolutely central. If they can't do the accent, just just make it. Like Don, we talked about Don Cheadle, him being yeah. Cockney, by the way. Yeah. No, is in no yeah. way central to his character. Film set in Vegas, everyone else is American. Him being British actually adds nothing to the story. If he's struggling to nail it, just say Don, but over you, my man. Just just talk, just talk in your your normal voice. Is his performance any worse for doing so? No, probably better. Part of it was that he also really wanted to keep it authentic, and so all the people that were in the back of the shots were all from Boston. Mm. And he just tried to employ as many people within Boston to help, whether it's behind the scenes or in front of the camera. And so he would hire people that had no business in acting or anything and just get them to read the lines for the people that had no nothing to do with the area and get to say for Blake Lively, mm. they picked out like two or three women with varying Boston accents to read. And then she could pick one and then she could really just focus her her yeah. dialects and uh, her pronunciations around the voice that she's picked out and the one that she's most comfortable with. I mean, that's happy days. So you think 37 mil, if you're in and around the area and he says, I mean, what do you reckon he's paying him a go? 500 quid? Yeah, probably not a lot because a lot of people are just happy like, hey, yeah, you're to happy be working to, for Ben Affleck. Because that's something you could, you'd dine out on for a while, but... Oh, but no, I'd say not being rude or disrespectful, but you work in a shop or something. Someone says, look, I'll offer you 500 notes. All you've got to do is come in and read 10 lines in your voice. No, no, no different inflection, no different intonation. I don't need you to shout. I just need you to read it out. It's seven minutes. It's seven. It's, it might be seven minutes worth of 500 quid. Yeah, in, in the end, one of the things that he really liked was that Blake Lively was filming Gossip Girl at the time and he felt that she would have somewhat of a point to prove just by the fact that she's doing something completely different here. And he said that when she came to audition, it wasn't the perfect Boston accent, but you could see, unlike some others who maybe assumed they could get the part, she'd actually made an effort to try and master it. Yeah. And so they picked her up on that. And then he just asked her to, just for a couple of weeks, stay in and around the Charleston area. And so they find this uh, 20-year-old girl who she gets on with. And he pretty much just keeps her in touch with her as often as possible, just going around the bars and in and around the area and just chatting constantly and just working with the locals on nights out in bars and just familiarising herself with all, all the talk and everything so she could then relax into the character. And then obviously she doesn't stand out in in the sense that an accent is particularly bad like uh, Cameron Diaz last week. Yeah. So... They say, uh, for people of Boston, you kind of tick all the boxes here. You've got the heavy Boston accents. You've got a scene of Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, the fact that the crew of robbers take down Fenway Park is about as cool as you can do in this sense. The film is actually based around sorry, a book called Prince of Thieves by Chuck Hogan. And he says the quote that you get at the start of this film, I'm mighty proud of where I come from. It's ruined my life, literally, but I'm proud. And he says that was just from a 20-year-old kid that lived in the area. 
And so that couldn't have summed things up better. <laughs> he's writing off his life in the area at 20 years old, but he's still so proud and wouldn't have anyone else talk down on the area. Um, ben Affleck wasn't the first choice here. The original director was Adrian Lyne. He directed uh, Flashdance, Jacob's Ladder, Fatal Attraction, Indecent Proposal, and worked on some others. He's from London. Never seen any of them, by the way. No, but you, you've, I'm sure you've heard of a few of them to get the get the gist, yeah, or you'll yeah, get it from yeah. me in a second anyway. So he was in what the uh, co-writer of the original script referred to as a double album phase, in which he says he wanted to do a three-plus-hour film, leave nothing out from the book, and just really hone in on the relationship between Doug and Claire. Mm. So Affleck said when he first came on board, it was more of an erotic thriller. He wanted triple the budget to do it, and Warner Brothers basically said, you've got no chance whatsoever. Mm. They do some manoeuvring around. They call him in for a meeting, and he thinks that he's just going to be asked who the next person should be. And they say, as much as they acknowledge that Gone Baby Gone wasn't the box office hit that it perhaps could have low, been. Low budget, though. Yeah, exactly. So what they what he thought initially is that they thought, okay, this is a guy that can just make cheap films. Yeah. And he said it. they really, really uh, made sure he was aware it's not that. They just appreciated the work that he had done and thought he could probably put a better stamp on this film. And so he said he, he'd think about it. He did want to change the script and put his own spin on it. He says he had no interest in directly translating from book to page. He uh, From uh, book to film, sorry. He says, if that's what you're going to do, it may as well just stay a book in that case. So he said he liked that he was able to pick up the kind of bones and structure and then put his own stamp on it as a director, which obviously works out very well. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I, I think, um, excuse me, sorry. It's odd to say, it, like, it's odd to think about not sticking to it in that way. It might as well stay a book because I don't, I don't think that's always true. He, he said that's just... He, from his sense of being a director, he says he may as well just leave it if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's, he's obviously he's a like he's more successful in the field than I am. I just think I think that's a I don't know. I think it's a bit of an odd take. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess it's it maybe like, is I've, different. I've not read the, I've not read the book, but I think it, it works in in this instance. Yeah, although does this have the same success if it's Ben Affleck in a romantic thriller for three hours long? I don't think it is. No, maybe not. He obviously had the right feel for it. I think he was just quite passionate about the fact that it was a Boston movie. Um, in terms of the casting, so he was really struggling to find the right actor for the role of uh, James Coughlin or uh, Jem. And it actually was his brother Casey that suggested Jeremy Renner. Your boy, Jeremy Renner. Well, he's, I mean, he's brilliant in this. My, my actual issue with him is mainly... I just thought Hawkeye was a shit superhero and that's literally where it comes from. And I didn't like that film tag either. So it kind of just uh, spiraled. I, quite like, I, I don't mind that. That charms me. It's not great. It's very much the, the definition of a five out of 10, but it does charm me. Didn't do a lot for me. Um, good, good big casting up. Yeah, it is. My guy Hannibal Burris. Legend. So Casey had worked with him on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, put him forward, told Ben to watch The Hurt Locker. Actually, I think The Hurt Locker came around at the same time. He asked him to watch another film he'd done, 
and they were unsure. They got him on board, and again... No, Hurt Locker might be 09, by the way. So okay. I, don't, I don't know when this started, how oh. long the shoot this was, etc. They watched so something that was different to what he would be doing in this film, but mm. they appreciated that when he did come on board, he had an accent that he'd worked on, and just the level of intensity that he brought right from the get-go, they were really on board with. The original person that Ben Affleck wanted was Mark Wahlberg. Could have done it. Yeah, that's my feeling on it. Although, I, now that we've seen it, I don't see that he does it better than Jeremy Renner does. No, no. I put it brilliant character. Sensationalist. I, he's actually he's actually minted this. Yeah. Um, he gets an Oscar nomination for this. Well, uh, there you go. It's, but it is a case of if Mark Wahlberg could, can do that. He can do intense. He could... You think this is 2009? Well, he, he's, he's he doesn't do it because he's doing The Fighter. I can't really argue with that. That's another does, Boston film. Does he direct that? No, that's... Um, does he direct it? Maybe you're right, mate. I don't. I didn't think he did. I thought that was quite a big uh, big name who did yeah, that. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think you are right. I want to say... Oh, I'm not going to guess. David O'Russell. Fuck, I knew it was. <laughs> oh, man. I, that was the only person in my head as well. And I didn't want to say oh, yeah. it. Because the only thing, I, when I think of David O'Russell, I always think of always think of a film I've never even seen. What's that? Joe Lyons Playbook. Never even seen it. Great but, film. Not quite your bag, I don't think. What are you trying to say? I can't picture you sitting down for an emotional... It brought a tear to my eye when I watched it, to be honest. <sighs> Oh, you're saying I've not got that, not got that in the locker? I didn't have you down as a rom-com guy, so maybe there's a lot I don't know about you. See? I do love a rom-com. Always set up. Um, I do think, for the record, I know I've asked you to do that as the next bracket, but I do think the, the next bracket I want to do, just, I know this, we're a long way off, long, long way off, but if we're still collaborating together at that point... I've I already started do, putting together a bracket. I want to do, um, I want to do sports films. Yeah, that could be good, to be fair. What was yours, quickly? I was on about rom-com still. Oh, right. Okay, well, look. I've well, actually well, still well. got a list. I'm waiting till it hits 25 to send you a films that we haven't done that we should do um, in the comedy field. So I'm just waiting till it hits a certain amount of films to send it on. Okay. Um, this film was what convinced Zack Snyder that Ben Affleck would make a good Batman. So he portrayed a character who was physically imposing... And led a double life. Yeah, fair enough. Chris Pine auditioned for the role of Jem that eventually goes to Jeremy Renner. Um, I can see him doing it, and I, I understand. I imagine this one was pushed more by the studio. Possibly, very possibly, very possibly. Well, he he's just done Star Trek at the time, so. Oh, he's big then. Yeah. This is when he had his little minute. He, well, he had a few years, but this is when he had his big moment. Yeah, because an, another audition was John Cena audition for the role of Glonesy. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I, I'm glad. <laughs> Supposedly, at the uh, audition, Ben Affleck was doing the kind of Boston thing with John Cena and kind of pretended as if he was going to wrestle him and then John Cena just like picked him up and it just got very uncomfortable for everyone involved <laughs> and John Cena doesn't get the job John Cena is fucking massive by the way yeah, Why, is, what yeah, are you doing I know Ben Affleck's 6'3 <laughs> Ben Affleck's like Ben Affleck's 
yeah, big bloke, good shape. John, John Cena's actually just like a full blown unit. The Chris Pine thing, I, I think it it'd be almost it's, it's so they're so far apart. Are they? Yeah, I think they are. It would almost be a little bit hell or high waterish. Yeah, they've all got. You can see the look they're going for, can't you? When it's mm. Jeremy Renner, Chris Pine, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Tall, dark, and handsome, essentially. Yeah, although not a lot of them look that tall next to Ben Affleck. No, he's a big boy, Ben Affleck. Chris Pine's fit, like fair size, someone. Yeah. Um, ben Affleck said it was actually quite liberating as a director because they didn't have a huge budget for this. And so some of these guys, they couldn't pick up anyway. And so he said you can actually just pick the best actors and not have to rely on star power so it takes pressure off you as a director in some sense and he said the audience don't go in with any preconceived ideas about a character he said if you just cast matt damon because he's his mate at the time you'd all have just seen him as jason Bourne and just think he'll kill all the bad guys Mm. and it's interesting because I think in hindsight, it actually works the other way at points. Like we look at Ben Affleck as someone that we can root for, despite him being a bad guy, technically. And John Hamm, we look at as this typically like smug character who is quite easy to root against. Like the line that Jem says, where he says, you know what your fucking problem is? You think you're better than people. Mr. Fucking clean, Mr. Goddamn high and mighty. That's what you think. But you grew up right here. Same rules that I did. That literally sums up what we think of John Hamm. Yeah, in most films that he plays and so the dynamic I actually think from what we know of the actors now it works well with those two in the roles they are whereas I can see at the time and I think it's the same with Now You See Me which we'll be doing after you've kind of got a couple of these actors that you're buying where the stocks are just starting to rise and so you just bank on it hitting that high after like Jeremy Renner this and Hurt Locker coming out in a year apart or whatever it was you've banked well there you get Blake Lively in the middle of doing Gossip Girl where you can now show a bit more range here John Hamm is I mean John Hamm I feel like he's got a pretty stationary star power probably goes up after this to be fair when he's doing things like tag but you've got a good cast that you have a certain level of expectations for but no one's going I gotta go see that John Hamm film no, I mean, he's ex-matted I don't think you can really say that as Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I mean, John Hamm's ex-matted away through Madden, and this is probably pretty big at that point as well. So he, he probably has that going for him, to be honest. At least Ben Affleck didn't feel like, I guess he, he didn't feel like he was intimidated by anyone that he was working with, which is quite important no. early on as a director. I mean, ultimately, he's Ben Affleck. Yeah. That's just like, that's, that's how that works. Like, I understand what you're saying, but Ben Affleck does have the luxury that he's Ben Affleck. Do you see him any differently since we found out that he was one of the guys in those Molly's game poker games? No, not really, because he's I not. Think of him and Todd Phillips and all of them. Like, just interesting seeing them outside of just turning up to work and acting and going home after, or guess going home to Jennifer Lopez in his case, which maybe adds a bit more pizzazz. I mean, Ben Affleck has played in like the World Series a couple of times. He absolutely, he absolutely just loves playing poker. Yeah, I don't really know poker, as we said, rounders yeah. and. Uh, yeah, no, he's played. He's played in the World Series, like big buying stuff as well, quite a few, like a couple of times. Yeah, he did really well one year, um, which is the fun part. Okay. But he's not. 
he's not described as like a bad guy at all, is he? No, no, not at all. Like, which is cool. Some come up pretty badly. Like, Toby Maguire, right now, just instantly thinks a dick. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it didn't seem to affect him. I guess enough smoke had died down before they bring him yeah, back first. Spider- the new Spider Man. Everyone's yeah, like, oh, he must be a dick, but he was my favourite Spider Man, so we'll let it slide. For me, it's poor, I, but I suppose it'd be weird just to bring one of them back. Yeah. Um, John Hamm said that when he read the Affleck script, he said it was great. He said it, it just read like a good old-fashioned kind of 70s cop movie where the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys, and that was yeah. just really fun to play out on screen. Yeah. I mean, it does. One of the big, not pluses, but one of the big things of this is you it, like any film it's where it works you end up caring about people that ultimately you shouldn't no and it's very rare you get to do that isn't it so it, yeah. you get that a, a kind of a different feeling heat is the obvious comparison where whether you do i can't remember but we certainly spoke about a certain level of conflict you feel mm. as a viewer in who you should really be rooting for here and I guess it's the same in mob films. We're rooting for guys who really we have no business rooting for. So it's always it's always good fun in that instance. Yeah, yeah, it brings a different level to it, doesn't it, every time? Yeah. Jeremy Renner says he surrounded himself with actual convicted bank robbers in Charlestown for research, and that helped him nail the accent. Sound nice and easy. I know um, Affleck said that he did kind of a few times and i've got a reference later on that he doesn't like playing the fame card but when you can use it to organize a heist on fenway park or you can use it to access the prison and have a sit down with a guy who's robbed multiple banks it is quite useful in that instance particularly when you are trying to make a film about those exact things and you want to be as authentic as possible yeah i bet it does and he said you basically you just had the production uh, team. We're just getting all these calls from guys that were like, look, I'm not asking for any money, but I kind of know how these things would have worked. So I mm. think I could probably be a lot of help on set. And they just get these guys on set and they would point out, say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or they would say, how would we do this? And everything, just that little thing that you could just add in each time, just to something quite cool, just improves yeah. the final product. That's it, it? Just if you've got the opportunity, it would be weird if they're if they're, like you. I'm sure there are examples where people are probably given these opportunities like this in other films. Like, no, no, I'll take it my way. But if, if someone's given you the opportunity, you just you listen, doesn't it? It takes nothing for a story. Yeah, I think it was Jeremy Renner who said one of the most bizarre things that he did with this film was they essentially put him up in what felt like a gallery. I think it was just one of the guards' offices at the prison where they filmed the scene with um doug and his dad yeah and they're almost just watching the prisoners he says it was probably about 30 minutes and just seeing how these people move and just seeing how they act and how they carry themselves and he just said it it was just one of the most surreal things in the world he said i think back now and some of those people are probably still there mm. and it just really was just able to add just a layer on top because he didn't want to do this film Jeremy Renner he said he had so many doubts about doing it he was going for Hawkeye at the same time and he actually took some convincing while on the set as to whether he was going to take the role or not apparently Ben Affleck was winding him up saying he was going to have to wear a purple lycra suit but nice 
everything just kind of chips in. And so I did want to speak particularly about him here because you get this part wrong and the whole film just blows up, doesn't it? If the accent's wrong, if he looks too big, that he dwarfs Ben Affleck, if he looks too small, that he isn't able to kind of carry himself in the same way. This film just doesn't work at all. No matter how good Ben Affleck is, you're really relying on Jeremy Renner to carry his side of the bargain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course you are. Ben Affleck said this was the most important casting as the hothead friend. He said you can either get Joe Pesci and Goodfellas or you can just so easily lapse into cliche and it just becomes predictable and obvious and trite. And that was obviously the exact thing they're trying to avoid. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's always, it's all fine margins with films like this. Problem is there's so many of them. Cliche is probably, a, is probably a, the best way of describing it, to be fair. Mate. It's, there's so many of them that... Well, now, I, I, wanted, I wanted now, to talk about the heat comparisons a little later on, so yeah, course, yeah. maybe you I can ask of, you about you, it there. You do die. There's fine margins between living and dying. Yeah. It, like Sometimes literally in the film, but met, like it or metaphorically in the film, but sort of literally for the success and how it's viewed, it's, it's a little twist here, it's a little turn there. You, you you can try so hard to not be heat, can't you? And then it's like, well, people loved heat for a reason, so maybe we shouldn't do the exact opposite to everything they do here. And as yeah. long as you aren't lifting it completely and you are putting your own spin on it, then in terms of heist films, we pretty much know what we want to see at this stage. Of course you do. It's the same as a gang. It's the same as a mob film, mate, or any crime film. You know what you're looking for. And you, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying you steal direct like direct scenes from it or direct quotes, but. You 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 have to lean into it in some way, or otherwise you're just doing random shit for the sake of doing random shit, and you're taking away. Like, there's if a film involves a robbery, the likelihood is I'm going to want to watch it. Right, whether or not I enjoy it is a different thing, but the likelihood is if you tell me that's a heist movie, I'm going to want to watch it. The likelihood is unless I read something that tur- like turns me away from it. Don't know, it's an actor I don't like. Something, something, something. But so you, you, in doing that, the reason I land on the fact that the majority of the time I'm going to like it is because I. It's not formulaic. Everything's different, but there are certain things I expect to see and want to see. Yeah, like some of the reviews criticise things, like John Hamm saying, uh, "You know, we are going to catch you eventually, and I want to be the guy. I can look you in the eye and I can turn you down and say you're not going to be bargaining with me." We all love that exact scene in every single heist film where mm-hmm. the policeman thinks that he has the upper hand and he tries doing the threat and the other guy looks him dead in the eyes and he's smug about it. We all love that every time. So why would you not do it just because, oh, well, we've seen that before. Yeah, we've seen it before because we want to see it every single time. Yeah. It's very rare that you can have those kind of face-offs where either the two people are shooting at each other and one goes down or they're sat across a table in an interrogation room and the two are trying to psych each other out. Like, There's really very few ways you can have your lead policeman and your lead bad guy, or good guy in this case, across from each other and the two of them just do the heat thing where they just sit across a dining table. There's a reason that that is so unique. Yeah. No, exactly. Um. Just with regards to Jeremy Renner's character, um, it's so brilliant in 
just the way I guess this is written and played in that it's such a, a frightening character in in his uh, unpredictability. You find yourself you you dislike the character, but you're also so, somewhat rooting for him. Like maybe you identify with some of the um, traits in terms of loyalty and things like that. It it's almost like an, I think I saw it described as an intoxicating character, and I think that sums it up quite quite well in the way that it's moving it's frightening all of these things just at the same time and you don't really know where you stand until the final scene where you can judge your emotions when he gets shot down outside of a mcdonald's he's uh he's the bad guy's bad guy in this yeah they're all bad guys but he's the bad guy because the attitude he has in the scene where he shows up and discovers doug with claire and the audience knows what he knows, but she doesn't know. And Doug knows that he's discovered it all. And this tension is like something from a film where someone's hiding and the killer's like creeping up on them. And you're wondering, is she going to see the tattoo? He's kind of, you can feel how uncomfortable everyone is. And it's just so, so brilliantly done. It's so easy to see why he did get the nomination off the yeah. back of this film. Yeah, certainly yeah, it is. He plays it, um, that scene, I've watched it a couple of times today, where he's sort of smiling and laughing, but you've got the menace underneath it, like a normal man's joker. Um, And then his scene with Ben Affleck, where he pistol whips him, is probably the best acting in the entire film. Like, it's one thing to have that dialogue, but the way that he delivers it with that menace, but also the vulnerability as well. And then in turn, you learn so much about Ben Affleck's character because he doesn't even bother to try and beat him physically. He just keeps his head, which obviously repeats at the end of the film. It's just two of them at the top of their game and you, you're you just so lucky you get so many of these scenes just with the two of them together. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, best scene. Uh, best acting, sorry. Yes, I was, uh, you're probably right, to be fair. Him, <laughs> him just sipping his drink from behind the mailbox before he has his last stand is probably the best summary of him as a character. Mm. He's got so many quotables in this film. I mean, if we get jammed up, we're holding court on the street. Mm-hmm. With one of them, I always say when you kind of nod your head, it's like, this is this is unbelievable. You know, this thing goes right. Could be your turn to step away too. Yeah, sure. What am I gonna do, Dougie? Huh? Go down to Margaritaville, drink half a yard, fall from bar stools. Do me a favor. The weight of this thing. Pack a parachute at least. You know the funniest thing about being in prison? Guys pretending that they want to get out. I can't do any more time, Dougie. So if we get jammed up, we'll hold them caught on the street. See my face, you tell the cops all right, but just remember I've seen yours too. Whose car are we going to take? Maybe the most iconic line in the film. He's just on fire. Is there anyone... When we look at that at the start, then is there anyone you can think of? If I give you free reign, 
that you think can come in and you can confidently say would do a better job than Jeremy Renner does on this film? Confidently say, I don't know. Someone I think would do, would have done a would have done a very very good job, and this is just it's never ever happening. But I'd have liked to have seen Leo. Okay, okay. So that's just based off the departed. It's based off everything, to be honest, mate. I just, well, I think it would be. Uh, I think, you think he has that menace about him. I do. Because the time in which we've seen that the most is probably in Django, where he's playing a very uh, scaled up version, when there's far more subtleties in this. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he could definitely do it. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't write him off. As for Ben Affleck, I think you can see how important this film was for him on so many levels, and you just get that feel when watching it. Um, they speak about how he's just such an icon in Boston and that he struggles to do anything in the place that he loves so much, mainly because he's 6'3 and stands out so much. And so they say that Jeremy Renner acknowledges that he's a famous guy, but he's not that famous that he can't go out for a meal after they finish filming for the day. They say that Ben Affleck in Boston just can't even do that. And so they say a lot of these scenes, they're even filming them at like 5 a.m. and it almost becomes like a theater because they shot on location. They say the crowds just went so quickly from like five people to a hundred people. And you've just got all these people just piling around just, just to see him work, just to say that they saw him act. Mm. And they say it just added, it just added this certain feel, even just behind the camera. There's nothing on screen, but you just had this energy that just made them then push on to have this film become what it is. Um, His character is so great and the way that he does this. We're going to do Gone Girl in a few too many weeks, actually. But you've got that same level of vulnerability again in this, haven't you, where he's having to play the double life thing, as Zack Snyder pointed out, but he does play it so well and it doesn't feel like it's like it's Batman. He's going and he's one character and then he's the next. In this, it doesn't feel like it's two separate characters. Like it is no. just him. The, the blend is, is, is so nice between them that it really does work. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it, it should. It's very, very different. It's very, very different to Batman. I understand. Yeah, I sort of get his point. That, that wasn't a point for him. That's just something. Like, oh, oh, you mean the Zack Snyder point? Yeah, of course. I understand it, but it's it, it would be odd if they felt separate. Yeah. I texted you earlier, and I don't think you were aware of this, and I wasn't aware <laughs> until today. Um. There are two alternate versions of this film. Now, there's an extended cut. That, there's an alternate cut, that, extended cut that has the same ending as the theatrical version. Yeah. And there's an extended cut that has a new ending. Now, I have since watched some of the tweaks to scenes where, if anything, it doesn't feel like where you see some extended versions where it's just an extra scene added in. A lot of these are just extensions to the scene. And so it makes far more sense, actually, in the argument that they have before he gets pistol whipped, where 
they have a back and forth about who the dad is of his sister's kid. And Ben Affleck says something along the lines of, there aren't enough clinics in the city for you to go around to try and find the father of that kid. I don't even think she knows who the dad of that kid is. And there's just a number of remarks like this about poor old Blake Lively. Yeah. Um, in the scene where the, the guy gets kneecapped, he smashes a bottle on the back of his head and then drags his forehead through the broken glass on the floor for a second. And then there's another back, there's another extended speech by Jeremy Renner at the end of the scene where he's giving them, look, you've seen my face now. They go to see someone before so they can get some dope to pour out on this guy's face. Um, there's a lot added in that Ben Affleck says he felt just really added to the character development. And you could see why uh, Jem was so erratic and all of these other things. So it it's really cool. Um, his cut was four hours long he says, and then after realising that film, strangely, would never appeal to wide audiences, Ben Affleck cut it down to two hours and 53 minutes in three days. Yeah. The studio and the producers loved it, but they say they wanted it to be no longer than two hours and ten minutes long. Affleck does then cut it down to two hours and eight minutes, and while he says he was happy with the theatrical cut, he said that an extended cut on the DVD and Blu-ray would feature those deleted scenes um, on top of some cut footage. He also said that if he had his way, he would be able to just release his full his full cut right from the start. Is like three and a half to four hour long film, and just because he's made it, and he says at that stage, if people want to see it, then they can see it. If they don't, it's no issue. You you've already got the DVD or whatever. Just yeah put it to the side but he said the studio wouldn't sign off on that um i get his point though like he says if yeah. you put it in and give an alternate version then if you've already got all the footage is there a lot of downside for the studio if people buy the go out and buy the dvd because they want to see for the sole reason you watch it the cinema dvd comes out and you're on oh, well, there's an alternate you and you go out and buy it for that reason ultimately you've still bought the dvd yeah i guess it the fact the We've had director's cuts before, but mm. the Snyder cut was such a thing, wasn't it? In that this film is so different, just the length of it is is so is so much longer. So the thing about this, you have to remember with the Snyder cut, though, Snyder, yeah. someone else chopped it first, yeah. Not just that, because <clears throat> obviously there seems to be a part of it that's happened there for half that to recut it. There was all the controversy about him getting bombed and this, this, this and him throwing toys out of a pram and so on and so forth, where it seems like Ben Affleck sort of just swallowed his pill. Well, it wasn't even the toys. It, it was that his... Actually, what, what been, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of something else. Um, I was thinking of the Very suicide cut, yeah. and yeah. the suicide squad and the cut of that. But my, my point was basically that there does seem to be more of an awareness now that what we see is necessarily what the director was willing to put on screen for us. And so I think if Affleck was that passionate about it, then there may be more of a thing with it now, but I don't think there would have been as much of a thing in 2010. No, 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 but that's it. But I think he, it also seems like he does, regardless of his level of passion, he sort of goes about it the right way. Not the right way, but well, maybe it is the right way. He, make, he, he, he backs it, he loses, he, he moves on and 
acts like a professional at the end of the day. Yeah, he says the theatrical cut of the town is a close adaption of the novel Prince of Thieves. Um, the extended cut is more close, is more true to uh, the full book rather than the adaption. So the alternate ending that is on the extended cut is he thinks that he's kind of home and clear. He goes around the corner, he takes his sunglasses off, he takes his hat off for the kind of driver's uniform. And the next thing he sees is the guys that they kneecap earlier in the film. And they're saying, where's your brother? They're kind of sticking it on him. He's trying to shy away from it. Yeah. And then he takes a look up to the sky. He realizes what's going to happen. And he goes to, he's in the middle of saying, how's your fucking legs? And then he just gets shot like 10 times in the chest. Now, this version does tie up with um, saying the next thing you see, is he fades out and it's Claire digging up the money, saying, I'll probably be long gone by this point. Yeah, I'm sure you can make better use of this. And Blake Lively's character also has a bag of money inside her house for her and the kid. Yeah. And then it's just his kind of letter being read out over the shots of Boston and then the credits roll. What do you think of that? I like it now. Yeah, me too. The the writer that worked on uh, this script says he grew up in a time where this this kind of film it always ended with the, the almost retribution for these characters. Yeah. Yes, you were bad. Yes, we were rooting for you, but ultimately we can't let you get away with this in good faith. Mm-hmm. And he said they showed it to test audiences and effectively everyone just hated it. He said everyone just left the theatre so dejected, but not. it didn't feel like it was in a good way. It felt like they were just so down on everything. They, that were they just actually, sat through. Just, actually just sad that he died. Yeah. yeah, so like the last two hours had been a waste. Like They were leaving the cinemas just so downbeat. And so they decided to change it. They, He said they something wrote about, about... Something to be said about that. In that, yeah. How good a film have you made about a bank robber that people are legitimately sad that they're, they're dead? Yeah. Well, the, the, the ending in the novel is Doug is wounded during his shootout with Fergie and then dies in Claire's arms in her apartment. And he said they filmed that one. They tried that with test audiences. They hated that as well. So they went with one where Doug survives. I think that him dying in Claire's arms is the worst of the three. Yeah. I know that's from the book. It's rare, but the film's better than book. But having seen the ending that we get, which I, I don't, I don't hate. Um, I don't know. You will, well, you know, imagine we'll talk about it. But I don't hate the ending as is. The ending of him getting turned over, it's probably the best of. Does it feel to you now like the ending that we get is somewhere in the middle? So it's not a happily ever after. Like we kind of Claire could come and visit him. We don't know if she's going to make that trip down or if they're both just kind of happy in the memory that they both got out of this safe. Yeah. We don't see him killed by Fergie, which I guess is probably what audiences would have hated the most. And we get some sense where it almost the ending that you do see, and I'll send you the clip after, it almost feels like he's going out with his pride. The fact that he gets kind of one last word in before he's shot down. Mm. It's like from where his brother says, you grew up in these same parts that we did. And so 
when Jem goes out and he basically just calls them all on for the suicide by cop. This feels a bit similar in that the attitude still gets put out there before he's taken away. And I think that's why it's the best ending. I do think him getting shot by Fergie would have been a fucking horrific ending because <laughs> there, there is a side when he when he goes, there is a satisfying moment. We're going to speak about him in just a second because phenomenal character, um, pure evil. That that reveal. Yeah. Is, yeah. I remember watching this for the first time. And I was genuinely shook. I remember just being like, "You fucking scumbag." Yeah. W- would you have liked a happier ending for Claire, or is she fine no matter what happens here? She has a chance to make it happier for herself. So, sorry, in the uh, alternate ending as well, she also hears like a news report of uh, Doug Coughlin died today, uh, suspected in the such and such heist. Uh, it's believed to have been related to the incident, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, as she's looking out of her window at a sunny day. See, that's just a bad ending for all, all involved, isn't it? But so that's it. That's in. That's in the one after he's he's shot. By oh, no. the kneecap it's, a bad, it's, it's a bad ending for all characters, but it's a great film ending. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. Yeah, but I, I mean, she has a she she does what she does with the money in the in the end, but she does have a chance to make make an ending. She doesn't have to donate the money. No, no, and she seems the type that's going to be frugal with it. Like she she's not going to go out there making some lavish purchases and getting caught. If anything, it just means that she can now... Not going to be turned up in a pink Cadillac in her mum's name. No, no. She's going to do a bit of travelling and live her life like she says she wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you feel like would happen. Yep. Um, Let's talk about Fergie then. Yes, you son. Who the fuck do you think you are? The only guy in Charlestown with a gun? You guys run numbers and pump dope. You're an old guy with a fucked up face who don't know his glory is behind him. I ain't fucking working for you. Got it? You got a problem with that? I live at 551 Bunker Hill Street. Stop by any time. You know where to find me. So Peter Postlethwaite uh, smashes this. It's one of his last roles. He's actually died with cancer at the time of filming this. Um, we, we get little to no build-up for his character. He's in two to three scenes, and he still just has this incredible sense of dread immediately just from him cutting up these roses. He always might. Well, John Hamm says he was quite gutted that they never got a scene together, but he says it's someone whose work he's respected, and he said it really meant more to a lot of the older actors just to know that they were going to be able to star in a film with this guy. Yeah. And he says he would saw him at breakfast one day in this little diner, and he was just sat on his own, and he came over and said, I just want to introduce myself. I'm in this film with you. Uh, I'm sorry we don't get to have any scenes together, but I just want you to know what an honour it is. And he said, it can go either way with some of these older actors. And he doesn't name anyone, but he says a lot of them, they're quite tired of, of all of that. They don't want yeah. any of that. And so you come over, you can quite as easily be told to fuck off and leave me alone. I, say, I, I imagine there's a few just sort of, if you're a, a younger guy, they just fuck you off a little bit, don't they? Yeah. And he said, uh, Peter told him, well, what are you doing? Pull up a chair, let's have a drink. And he said he did tell him, well, it's 11 a.m. And he said he got a look as if to say, I, I don't understand what you mean. What, what, what do you mean? It's only 11 a.m. And he said they had a drink with their breakfast. And he said that's something that he'll always cherish now. Yeah. In the name of the father, Peter Postlewaite's in that. He plays the dad in that, actually. And he's, he's sensational, isn't it? 
well, yeah, he he's in two he's in two to three scenes. Um, I just noted down some of the quotes that he has. He could have said nothing, by the way, and just been cutting those roses, mm-hmm. and that still would have been enough. Like he's a terrifying guy. We yeah. don't get any of the. We always refer to the John Wick style, like build up the boogeyman. We don't get any of that. He's referred yeah. to as just a florist a few times, which is believed to be based on a real person. Um, yeah, you're going to do this to me, or I'm going to clip your nuts like I clipped your daddy's. There's a thing if someone it's it's essentially a, a deeper my dad is bigger than your dad, isn't it? Like there isn't a lot you can do if someone goes at your dad. Yeah, this isn't my dad is bigger. This is I'm bigger than your dad. That's what I mean. Is, this is like this is like the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> but like terrifying, but like just like looks like a part of the eyes, which somehow he manages to change to look like pure evil during this film. Yeah. When I've seen him in other films, and he's got the most caring eyes ever. <laughs> right. So it's a, a remarkable feat. When your but, daddy said no to me, I did in the chemical way. Gave your mother a taste, got the hook into her, got her doped up good and proper. It's like, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous, mate. When he ends it and he says, uh, if there's a heaven, son, she ain't in it, and just <clears throat> stares him out. It's like, oh, this is... And you're looking at Affleck, aren't you? Like, you can't do anything here. And he yeah. knows he can't. And it's, yeah. it's... In school where you'd see someone going back and forth with someone that wouldn't usually be in that situation and you can either be so angry and I've referred to Richarlison as this type recently a type that just gets so angry that they cry and we all have those kids in our class at school Yeah. and you're looking at Affleck to, for some kind of break and his character does a good job of keeping the straight face in in hearing probably the worst thing you could ever hear, really? It's, I mean, it's got to be like top five, if if not. You know, they either geld a horse with a knife or with the chemicals. And your daddy said no to me. I did him the chemical way. Gave your mother a taste. Put the hook into her. Now she doped up good and proper. Hung herself with a wire on Melnair cast. And you, running around the neighbourhood looking for her. Your daddy didn't have the heart to tell his son that he was looking for a suicide doper who was never coming home. If there's a heaven, son, she ain't in it. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not great. But it does keep his cool, and it speaks a lot about his character. He's... I mean, ultimately, he makes his decision to end him, not even over that, it's over Claire, isn't it? He's... His speech after I've had in my head all day. In uh, let me ask you something: Who the fuck do you think you are? The only guy in Charleston with a gun. You guys run numbers and pump dope. You're an old guy with a fucked up face. All those glory years behind you. <laughs> I admire it. He's very wise to get the hell out of there very quickly. Yeah. He says, doesn't he? Uh, I live at five fifty one Bunker Hill Street. Stop by any time. Actually, that speech is before that, isn't it? And then he gets told the, yeah. if there's a heaven, son, she ain't in it. And then he says, uh, I mean, you've got a new girlfriend, and thankfully now I do know where to find you. <laughs> it's just an incredible back and forth. The uh, stop by any time, that's, that's in a few films. Yeah, it's very, very good. It's in a film called Kill the Irishman. Okay. So, very low budget film about, um, oh, geez, can't remember the guy's name. I think I don't want to say Peter Green, but. 
No, we've uh, done this before when we did when we did the departed pod. And I think you were stuck on the same thing. Sure it's something green. But by the way, anyway, it's, it's set in Philly and they, they the mob were trying to kill the fellow were trying to kill him for years. And he uh, he did a he did a thing on the local local news because people were trying to kill him. I'm like I actually did an interview in the news. He was like, Look, these guys who are trying to kill me, this is where I live. They know where they know where to find me at any time. And they just like that's like, but mind that's actually that was like a real interview he did as well. That is the most brass bollocks I've ever seen. Someone yeah. tried to blow up your car and you're like, "Yeah, look, it's my house. You, you, you know where to find me." It's like uh, doing the telling someone to swing first, yeah. when really, when you say that, you are banking on the fact that they aren't going to do it and they aren't going to call your bluff. And telling some murderous guy called the florist and just giving him your address to send a funeral procession. You are very much just banking on the fact that he's gonna doubt you just because you've said it. Unbelievable! It's, you, it's uh, a power play. It, it, it could backfire so fast. You're banking <laughs> on you're banking on your own value there a lot. Yeah. You've either got no cares, no, and you're ready to ready to go, or you're banking on your own value. You think a lot of yourself. Ben Affleck, in this case, is the latter. He banks that he's got enough value that he ain't gonna be killed. Yeah, you, you, your man in the background hears that chat and he's like, I've got nothing for this. Let me just reach for this shotgun. Yeah. This is, he's heard Stone Cold and The Rock going back and forth. And he's some guy at the back and he's like, well, I can't get in the middle of this. No. And he just reaches Slightly for what he knows. Yeah. Just pure evil. Just a, it's just this, in a film about villains, just a sensational villain. Yeah. In, in terms of this saluting they do to other heist movies in this we mentioned heat you do have the one scene where there's a shot of a television playing heat um mm. in the white truck i told you uh they acknowledged and said they kind of just need to not be afraid and not run from heat um the scene where the cop turns away when he sees the masked armed robbers getting away is actually based on an actual event Ben Affleck says he added it to the film after interviewing a bank robber in prison. The smartest man in the film, by the way. Yeah, we always say, don't we, the classic, I've got two weeks left on the job. That was very much a guy like, this is not worth it. He's He looks mid-50s. Like, he, 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 he looks like he's been about a bit. It's just, it's, it's class, to be honest. I, I actually always sticks in my mind. He <laughs> might have been in the trailer. Uh, I'm sure it was because they really do lean into the masks as part of the marketing. Yeah. The the masks is just a great shot. They're not masks, it's phenomenal. But it's just like <laughs> that's that's just the biggest nope in the world. He's like now fuck this cinema. Yeah, Affleck was speaking with a policeman where they were doing their kind of interviews and really just trying to get a grips with things, and he just saw a photo pinned to a notice board of someone sticking up a bank with a skeleton mask on. And he asked for the story and they said, yeah, these guys would literally come in in this mask. And he said he just happened to be speaking and trying to think how he could make that more menacing. And said in probably the most religious part of Boston to wear a nun mask is probably the only way that they could one up. The skeleton on top of. The tactical armor and really get something out of it. You've had uh, like dead presidents, you've had point break. I, I noticed something down to just say the the masks aren't so much a make or break, but they really can be a make in that they can just give you that iconic moment that sticks in your mind here. 
because that shot in the town is what people remember. Yeah, I mean, you've even had the Dark Knight at this stage. Absolutely. The Joker Mars there, where they robbed the bank, were massive as well. So it's not, it's not unheard of. I mean, he obviously the the sort of the like hockey masters and stuff that you get. So you've have you have seen it a lot. He he also said that he thought having the different masks for the two different heists would be a good way of when people are talking about the film to say like the skeleton heist or the nun heist and then quickly yeah. realised people were far too interested in the nun heist to be talking about the skeleton heist if they're talking about the film so it worked in some respect yeah uh, I mean like, like you say it's you say make or break I don't know I can't think of an example where it doesn't work I mean even for no, that's why I said it's not so much make or break but it can make it can really give you something it's even happens on. fucking fun with Dick and Jane with um can't cannot can't remember her name that's gonna annoy me as well it's Jim Carrey and it's Jennifer Aniston isn't it no it's Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz no oh, bollocks hold on as soon as I say her name you'll know exactly who it is Oh, bloody hell, this is annoying. Memory is just not with me today. Tia Leone. I wouldn't have got that in a million years. You know who she is, though. She's in Bar- she's in Bar- I've just I've just seen her face, so yeah, now I know who she is. She plays she's in Bad Boys 1. But no, I wouldn't have got that. Um... One of the things that you always do have in a good heist film is a car chase, and the car chase in this is fantastic. Yes, it is. You've got this juxtaposition of the nuns and the tactical gear, and then they pointed out that one of the great things about shooting this in Boston is that everything is just so narrow, yeah, and it adds yeah. a certain level of claustrophobia to uh, this because, like yeah, you're almost anticipating the turns with them. Yeah, it's uh, in certain parts as well. Apparently, it's not really uphill downhill uphill downhill it's um, really it's really great in this you're you're more of a james bond fan than i am, uh, I am. they referenced the beginning chase in quantum of solace as what mm-hmm. they didn't want to do they say there were just so many shots and it's done so quickly that you kind of lose track of where you are and it's hard to be immersed and yes. they really wanted this to feel like you were in the back of the car with them, like you're embracing the turns. You're really looking over your shoulder almost to see how close they are behind. And they felt that giving you these shots to just really get your surroundings and know where you were would work far better than just fast fast cuts and really just trying to make it more dramatic that way. Yeah, fair. Um, I, I've said previously that pistol whips always get to me in these films, but every ounce of violence in this film is so down to the bone that you really do feel all of it. Like it doesn't feel like there's a wasted punch at all. Like every bit of violence is just so there's no, there's nothing background about it. Everything is right there. You feel everything about it. Everything is so precise and it just works the whole way through in, in, in carrying it. There's nothing needless involved. And so when they do then blow up a truck, it just hits so much harder. It that reminds me of Heat as well. Um, it reminds me of the, like just the, I won't say ferocity, but maybe that is the word. Yeah. You know, watch Heat as the truck comes across right opening opening house. Truck comes across the screen and it just 
feels like you could have the feel the you could be watching it on volume three or watching it on volume three hundred. It just fills what like whatever room you're in, and that's what the scene with the truck feels like. Affleck said that he really wanted to ensure that when you read the budget afterwards, you could really see that every penny any every penny of that budget was on screen. There was nothing put outside and wasted and so on the days when they were shooting something like the okay the the Renner and Affleck scene where it's just them arguing yeah he said they just have a small crew that day because one of the things he prided himself on previously was the way he worked a budget and so mm-hmm. if you can save even 10,000 pounds to go bigger at Fenway Park then why the hell wouldn't you do that a very fair point now isn't it yeah and so we do get them taking over Fenway Park Ben Affleck says uh, he just happens to uh, be good friends with Tom Werner (laughs) him and John Henry come down to the set just to see it all going on just happens to be friends with him yeah Yeah, he, he, he said they wanted to go big time because he was just he was pissed off with the Bruins they wanted to do something more um, on the ice hockey side of things and the Bruins have a rule and they told him if our logo is on screen at all then you can't have any violence or swearing anywhere around it and he oh, said I tried to say do you not know what hockey is? Oh sorry but, that was going to be my question to you I was going to say you're, yeah. more, you're more of a hockey guy than me but it's like 50% of the fun not people kicking exactly, fuck out of each other Exactly and he said I don't he, he said it really, it really irritated him and he said I mean there's no point arguing it but yeah. it was like, right, we can't do that there. Let's make this the biggest, best thing that we can do at Fenway. And he said, if you want any kind of feel as what as to what it would be like if there was some kind of apocalypse, being in an empty stadium is probably yeah. the closest thing you can get. He yeah. says, sitting around eating a packed lunch with Jeremy Renner in two seats of Fenway Park where there's nobody else there. Also, why... Why was he taking packed lunch? Yeah, I imagine packed lunch was probably an expression. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I hope so. Imagine that. Yeah. He's just sat there with a, with a little, <laughs> dairy, little dairy lunchable. Just making sure people are bossed. No, look, I, I've not outgrown this place. Yeah. I know where I came from. Um, they say someone was getting married while they were shooting this and they'd forgotten to tell them that they were shooting in the kind of uh, downstairs of Fenway. So all of a sudden, they just hear these gunshots and someone has to go to the wedding uh, the wedding uh, ceremony and explain to them, no, we're shooting a film downstairs. And he said they took it in the end, like, okay, there's quite a cool story afterwards, but in the moment... If you're the bride, you're raging. <laughs> yeah. I also don't imagine it's getting... I imagine whoever's paying for it is raging. Also, I can't imagine it's cheap. Yeah. No. Everything about this is great. It's great if you have any kind of affinity to Fenway. It's great otherwise, just in the kind of grand scale of things. It's cool when you see someone dressed up and then they're able to pull off that part of the heist and you're seeing them walk along and some policeman just happens to reach for their radio and you get that said, oh God. Them Mm. wheeling three and a half million out of Fenway Park. Um, And then just again the way you're in this uh, grand arena, but everything is so reclined when they're on the lower levels and you've got this shootout going on. 
And I feel like someone always has to get shot in the head in these scenes just to really reiterate to you well, just the seriousness the, of the film. You've got all the fake blood there. You might as well use it. Yeah, and it's a, I I mean, it's a, it's that, a good headshot. I do think that does come down to it in a lot, in a lot of places. It's just shocking as well, isn't it? It's just the... Yeah. Well, get shot. I mean, I've never been shot. Such word, I've never am shot. Paintball's really <laughs> bad enough. Fuck me. Yeah, airsoft's bad enough, man. Or, um, <laughs> they do it. But it's um, it's the immediate drop after the headshot. Yeah. Just crumple. Like, people, like in, I mean, again, this is all from films and video games. Never seen anyone shot in the head. Don't really don't want to. No. Um, but it's the, the crumple in it. You just fall. Yeah. It's not like you can play a dramatic moment where they're, oh no, they're slowly dying out or bleeding out. They're shot in the head, they're gone. There's always that moment in heist films, isn't there, where you you think to yourself, that was a bit too easy and you just know it's just not going to be and you get what, about 40 seconds of them thinking they're all kind of high-fiving and then Doug realises it's a bit too quiet here. Yeah, and then after the fucking massive Boston office of the FBI is just chilling out. Yeah, I feel like they probably could have been a bit more discreet. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, with them being boxed in, you get the tension of that, you get the back and forth, and then you've almost got the three different options all playing out. You've got the just driving out and just trying to attack it head on. And he yeah. does that. And I don't know why his character thinks they're just going to take him down slowly and not just shoot through mm-hmm. the windshield. <laughs> um, you've then got Renner, who tries to do the kind of moderate way, but is prepared to hold court, as he says. And he goes out in this blaze of glory. And then you've just got the completely conspicuous Doug sneaking out, even has chance to stop and watch what's going to happen to... Uh, the man he calls his brother. And that thing of when uh, the FBI agent recognises him, it's always, it's always so good where the character seems to think, if I just don't say anything here, they might go away. Yeah. What else can you do? He can't. He, you're, not, you're not trying to go out. You're not trying to pull your own weapon there, are you? No, uh, not for a moment anyway. Not, not, exact, not at that exact moment, are you? It, it, that's obviously the fallback, but Doug, especially in this, he's smart enough to know that. Ain't, I mean, the old point of him booting off is that they they is is that is sort of during the first robbery, what goes wrong there? Yeah. He seems smart enough to know that. I'm not going back to prison. No, it's the, it's yeah, and it's half the, least resistance. The questions need to be asked of an FBI agent when he's literally running in a straight line away from him, and he hmm. misses about three shots. <laughs> Like this Don't guy, he's supposed to be the best of the best. Some type here. of marksman on the on the side. Well, it, it's a guy running in a straight line, just popping in the back. Yeah, I get your point. I feel, and I may be overstating myself here. I feel like if he's running away in a straight line, and I've got a football, and I have to kick it at him as he's running away, if you give me three shots. There's probably going to be people listening who are going to are going to feel otherwise. I feel I've got a decent chance of hitting him. Admittedly, I've got a bigger ball to use, but mm-hmm. if we weigh up what my footballing ability should be compared to what one of the leaders in this FBI on-field investigation team should be doing, he's got to be yeah. doing better. 
in the paper the next day his match ratings are 6 out of 10 is it? <laughs> exactly those L'Equipe those uh, L'Equipe ratings uh, are notoriously uh, harsh overall then the film where does this rank for you among your favourite heist films I feel like number one's boxed off um, is it top three? Yeah. Yes. Is it two? It we should make clear. I don't. I don't see Goodfellas as a heist film. Goodfellas isn't a heist film. No. Sure. I, I. I. thought there your are, tentativeness. The reason, the, reason it, the reason it doesn't become a heist film is the biggest heist in it. They chose exclusively not to show. Obviously, you see the original Lufthansa heist, where Frenchie gives them the keys and they walk in and walk out, and then he gives the tribute to Paulie. But the actual biggest heist at Lufthansa, where they go and take all the millions, you hear about it from Henry's perspective in on the radio the morning after whilst he's yeah, in the shower the, the, the mo- in your voice made me think that you were having that internal debate which is why uh, no, no, what no. I said what what do you have a top three on hand well hoist me maybe yeah. not not on hand give me a second let me let me assess there were three that came to mind but one feels rough Eight. Oh, well, I'm assuming heat number one. Yeah, obviously, come on. And it's just what the other two could be. Yeah. Um, Den of Thieves up there. I'd take this over Den of Thieves every day in. Focus up there. If you can call if you can want to I think it's a there. host film, but again, yeah, I, I, I think this is as close to heat as, as, as I can imagine a host film being. Mm, yeah, I tell, tell you what I do like. Um, this is one that's just popped into my head. I'd not say it's top three. I haven't seen it in a long time. How I haven't seen it in a long time, to be fair. But the remake, and it is a remake of uh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. I've seen that's Chris Pine, isn't it? No, it's John Travolta and Denzel. It's Chris Pine. It's Chris Pine. Is he in that? Is he? I'm pretty sure it's Travolta and Chris Pine. It's definitely not Chris Pine. Chris Pine's the one with Denzel then, I think. Okay, well, I'm... No, I thought it was taking the Pelham 1-2-3. Maybe you're right. I always thought it was Denzel. I'm not going to lie to you. Denzel and Travolta. Um, there's some very it's Denzel old... and Travolta. I'm not sure what I'm thinking of Chris Pine in now. I'm <laughs> really spun. There's some, there's some very old ones that I'd need to watch again. Um... To, like real old stuff because obviously we we're outside it I'm going to say so I don't keep you all or sorry I don't keep you all day which I definitely could because I do love a heist movie um, excuse me I'm going to go heat this and then I um, I can't know I can't do it I was going to say oceans but I do love it. Actually, yeah, no, fuck it. I do. Uh, no, in fact, I'm lying to you. I, I thought you'd you. take this. I thought you'd take Oceans over this. No, no, I actually, I'm actually lying. It's as a heist movie, just purely based on the heists. It, it actually goes. It, it goes. Heat Reservoir Dogs. This. Okay, okay. I'd have Hell or High Water in there, but I appreciate all the mentions uh unstoppable was what i was thinking of and it is chris pine and denzel so and it's on a train <laughs> fair enough i mean it's, it's re- relatively close yeah 
2010 as well, I think. Anyway. Fair to say we're both fans of this film. Oh, yeah, most definitely. It was nice to, nice to have a rewatch of this, to be fair. Yeah, the, I definitely am going to go and watch that uh, extended cut, I think, at some point soon. Uh, extra half an hour. Um, it looks like there's some gold in there as well. I think they flesh out Blake Lively's character a bit more as well. Um, they do say in this, if Ben Affleck hasn't asked out Blake Lively at some point during their one particular scene together, then yeah. he definitely had indications that she was not interested. Because, because when you look at his success rate, it cannot be that he's not backing himself. Yeah, confirmed. Um, just thinking about hoist movies, the original Italian job would probably make, be up there as well. Wouldn't make it for me, but I appreciate no, no, I'm uh, happy. I'm the happy reference to the three, old my ones. Three, my three are my three, but that would be up there. All right. Um, as much as we could probably talk about this uh, even longer, it is time if we move on to Now You See Me. Everyone in this room was a victim of hard times. And so tonight, we're going to return some money back to you. Can you explain to me how you robbed a bank? 5,000 miles away. Magic. I'm gonna nail you. First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. The bank was the distraction. What's about to follow is really going to amaze. Now you see me. Locked. Nothing's ever locked. Ready PG-13, May 31st. If we move on then to Now You See Me. An FBI agent and an Interpol detective track a team of illusionists who pull off bank heists during their performances and reward their audiences with the money. Now, what do you think the critics think of this one? Six out of ten. Fun. I, I think. Um, I think the idea will get a lot of credit, and some of the effects will get a lot of credit, but ultimately, not 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 loved. You're you're not far wrong. I think. Um, it's probably worth me putting that out there now. If you're tuning in and you are the biggest Now You See Me fan in the world, perhaps you've heard the enthusiasm for Heat and you may be expecting similar. Now, the enthusiasm levels will always be on a certain level with me, but you can only hit the certain levels of enthusiasm levels for certain films. And Now You See Me isn't quite living up to... Uh, the levels of our previous film this evening but i will take you through the critics reviews so this top-notch cast manages to infuse the film with a sense of fun style and a little suspense one of those films that tries to be too clever for its own good now you see me is pure summer popcorn while it's not a super movie, it is a rather entertaining diversion for a couple of hours. It is risky, genius casting. Genius casting. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get yes, to the it. first thing I have after this next review. Um, oh, okay. 
an engaging little summer caper with a talented cast and a twisty bit of storytelling. This is an adequate bit of entertainment that is enjoyable in the moment, even if it is rather implausible if you think about it. What do you mean, if you think about it? <laughs> I don't know how plausible a film about magicians can be, to be honest, but... Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, but it's... um. I think the ending takes away any sense of realism that they're trying to convey at any point. Yeah, I know. But I, you say that, but the ending the first time around when I watched it, I was like, oh, nice. Like, wasn't in love with it, but I actually quite liked it. I thought it was an interesting twist. I think this film suffers from, it might be a bit early for me, but we've gone through the, we'll talk about the cast and I'll do the bits, but I do think that last review, minus the, a little bit, if you, a little bit unplausible, which is, a wild understatement, but I do think this film suffers from once you know the ending, once you've seen the tricks once. Do you think the issue is that it's quite difficult to ham up a it's not bad review? Like, without just saying that, it's quite hard yeah. to portray that in a review, which I guess is essentially what we've just got in five different variations. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I understand your point. It's a review where you're not trying to be overly critical, but you're also not trying to say, go out and see this film now. Yeah. It, it, it Basically, it will do. Popcorn is always all popcorn and also the word summer. Yeah. You get, yeah. they are, they're the essentially, they're the, yeah, they're, they're like the keywords or the, the, like you say, the tells. You're often, oh, it's a good summer film. Yeah, so if if I just rip you through the casting that was rumoured, so Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jim Carrey, Hugh Grant, Sasha Baron Cohen and Colin Firth were all considered for the lead roles in this film before they decided to go for some younger leads. Uh, initially, there was going to be no women. It was going to be four horse men. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was considered for the role of Dylan Rhodes that goes to Mark Ruffalo. Amanda Seyfried was then considered for the role of Henley. It seems almost like we said with uh, I keep forgetting the name of the film after we've just done it for uh, several hours. It's getting to me. The Town. Um, kind of what we said with the casting there. They've kind of banked on some of these guys getting bigger, I think. Isla Fisher perhaps not. I think in Dave Franco, they've taken what they feel is a calculated risk and the same with Jesse Eisenberg. What year is this? This is 2013, so they're banking on Eisenberg yes, kind of... He's done the social network. I'm about to say, so they're kind of banking on that re-livening Dave Franco in and around the time, what is he doing? must be doing Neighbours a year later, and he's kind of trying to branch out a bit. I think it makes more sense than them doing Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jim Carrey, Hugh Grant, and Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Does feel like a film that would be made for Sasha Baron Cohen. But I don't even know. Well, what they I mean could go for that. Isla Fisher instead. Maybe that's how they got to Isla Fisher. That we won't have him. And then suddenly they realise what they've got right in front of them. Yeah, I, d- I don't know what I mean by that. But if you were like, if you told me it was a film about a bit eccentric magicians robbing banks, and you're like, yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen's in it, I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, what I thought was interesting in this one is that what you'd call the best actors are actually in the lesser roles in this kind of like the further you get away. Um, 
Woody Harrelson probably doesn't apply here. But when you look at Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Mark Ruffalo, they'd probably be considered higher up on the tree than Dave Franco and Eisenberg. And yet, two of them certainly. They're the less, yeah, and yet they're the lesser characters. And it's just an interesting way of doing things. It's it's almost like uh, you're banking on what, what can be with these guys, but you're propping them up. Yeah. Like with Arsenal now, where they're saying, look, you've got this good young core, but you need to add a bit of experience in there. Hey, Rivaldo. Yeah. That wasn't where I thought you were going to be going when we were talking about Arsenal. Um, I don't know. No. Um, On set, a number of stories to come out. Uh, Mark Ruffalo says that Dave Franco did genuinely cut his face when throwing one of those uh, playing cards. Um, You've got this moment that I noted down where they kind of do the nod to Zombieland where... Eisenberg and Harrelson come face to face and he says, have we met before? After they've done the control freak bit. Yeah. Thoughts while watching, because that was literally the trivia for this. <laughs> there was no more than that. Um, one of my biggest questions, actually. Oh, well, let's do this first. Isla Fisher's character. It felt to me like they hadn't planned for a female character. Her whole, her whole thing is just weird. Like, at the start, they do this big thing of she wasn't happy to be an assistant, but then is an assistant the whole time for the film after. And she's just almost used in this uh, to have this weird tension with the others. There's that scene with Woody Harrelson trying to put the moves on. <laughs> it just has nothing. It makes no sense outside of that scene. His character never is that kind of way again. He never has any kind of reference with her. Like I don't. It's like it was put in for the trailer. Maybe I don't know. Her character just felt like it was rushed compared to the others. She does. She is forced to take a little bit of a bit part. Yeah, it's 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 weird as well because she, I mean she's more accomplished than more accomplished yeah, than I, Dave Franco. No, 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 it's just no slight. There's no slight towards her. And I'm no, not, I I don't know if. It's not fucking stupid. If it sounds stupid, tell me. I don't know if they they don't know if subconsciously they put her into and this is my beautiful assistant. Yeah, but then it's strange to do that and then have the whole thing at the start of I'm not an assistant, by the way. I know. Because usually then you would have some kind of okay. If we were doing this the formulaic way of which you would usually have in this type yeah. of film, when no, you get I... to the final play she needs an assistant and it's Jesse Eisenberg's character who has to yeah. assist her. That's how you would usually play this. I understand. I'm not saying it was a conscious or it just, no, no. It was a conscious decision. And you are right. It just, that's what it feels like. They, they well, seem yeah. to usher her to the side. So they reference no, it, don't they? She was being uh, chopped in half. Yeah. And then he says that she was too big and they have the joke when he catches her and says, oh, you have lost weight. Um, they actually had a moment on set where they were filming the scene where she's in the tank and she has to go. It looks like she's drowning where the handcuffs actually got caught. And so she couldn't rise to the surface in the way that she was supposed to. And much like my interview with my man, Tommy Komenik and uh, Adam Sandler, 
she's banging on the glass and they just assume she's in character. Yeah. And they say it it's around like two minutes plus when they realize what the hell's going on. Which I don't know if that's an exaggeration or maybe the health and safety people shouldn't be on a film set again. But she certainly got a fright to the point where she was hesitant to go back and film the scene again. I'm not going to lie, she managed to hold her breath for two minutes. That's really impressive. They had David Blaine on set giving pointers. We don't really hear much of magicians nowadays, do we? There was definitely a phase of that. Came back, Dynamo did a bit, didn't they? Yeah, I remember David Blaine being the early one, and I remember he was, I was going to say, he was a celebrity um, to the point where he was on Celebrity Deathmatch, (laughs) and that was maybe like the sign for me that he was a big enough celebrity. Is that the claymation thing? Yes, it was, yeah. I used to get them off LimeWire back in the day. Okay, you should be on MTV. Yeah. I don't know if you should okay. admit that. I don't know if I should admit that kind of thing. Or being a I feel like everyone was. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, I remember watch, watching it on there, and that was how I kind of knew the level of celebrity that, that he was. And, yeah, then you had the Dynamo thing. You had, um, what's his name? Darren Brown doing the lottery numbers, and he'd have his shows, and it doesn't seem to hit the same anymore, does it? Because no. I used to really enjoy, particularly the David Blaine ones, as much of a freak as he is, and I feel like he may have had some allegations come out against him. He seemed, yeah, I was going to say something, then, but I will. Um, You're going to say he seemed the same. <laughs> uh, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. I, I, said, I don't think. I, I don't think David Blaine would be listening to our pod now, but I also don't think many would disagree with you. <laughs> I just um, no, I. I think by the time Dynamo came about, I was sort of over it. Do you remember? Like, yeah, he was massive in this. I don't know what he was like overseas, not internationally, but so, like, David Blaine was a big star everywhere. Yeah. Um, but he was Matt big Dynamo, enough to like, DVDs, stuff, wasn't he? He was the perfect... He buying yeah, his DVDs out around Christmas time and he was, he was selling fortunes. Yeah, well, Dynamo had like, that TV on, like, channel, uh, the show on Channel 4. Or yeah, yeah. And that, that was massive. He did that thing with a bus and he like, walked the water. By that point, I was like, I'm like, yeah, and obviously the whole magician thing was just big right around the time of having like pinned videos on Bebo and things like that. Like that's the kind of era where these videos were just popping off, but yeah, you don't really see much about them anymore. Darren Brown does the kind of like psychic things and let me read your mind and let me hypnotize you. And... But there's not yeah. too much more of that, is there? No, 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 there's not, is there? Which... Do you think then it's strange that, I mean, 2013 is so a long, a long time ago. I don't recall magic being a massive thing then for this to fit in, but obviously it was a very successful film. It gets a sequel. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Um, a num- <laughs> number of other questions. How did the French detective fall for Rhodes? Like, literally nothing happens between them. <laughs> then all of a sudden... She takes they're, a big gamble on him as well. They're they? just yeah. a thing. Yeah, it takes a massive gamble on him, like, considering, essentially, but yeah, chance you'll just cover up my crimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, give, given the address from the town. Yeah. 
that is banking that you've got some serious old value. I'm going to tell you all these crimes I've committed, and as a police officer, I'm just going to guess you're not going to grasp me up. And I guess, fortunately, he was right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have a, I, I don't, I don't back myself enough in any situation to do either of these things. By the way, if there's, if there's some, if someone's trying to put some work on me, I'm not telling them my address. And when it comes, to, <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to the fair effect, I'm not being like, yeah, look, I'll commit a load of crimes. Here's what I've done. Don't shock me. No, um, the, the one, the the scene that's particularly bad, and one of the ways this film falters is kind of when it does the look, this is how we really did it. And then yeah. it's just never as clever and slick as perhaps it should have been in this kind of film where it needs to be really slick. And I think of Focus is probably a good example. Great film. And they do really pull off the slick side of things in that film. Yeah. In this, the more slick they try to be, the more I feel it kind of fades away. Like the scene when they're showing that... Uh, Dave Franco still alive. First of all, how no helicopter that's above. I understand how perhaps Mark Ruffalo couldn't see the switch over in the cars. Mm-hmm. There's a news camera above filming this whole thing. I feel like they should see if a guy <laughs> slips out of a car into another one and drives away, uh, regardless of the explosion. But his thing of breaking in and they just leave the one guy that's been hypnotized and is playing the philharmonic on his own with mm. no one around him no no supervisory and they actually say bullshit twice before in that scene which i feel someone has to have picked up uh i i haven't i mean it, now it's been pointed out you would but it's also not our job to recognize that there's enough people no. that have recognized it if you just google the film you'll see a lot of complaints about this. And this may be where the hard-to-believe things come in, even when you are tuning in to see a film about magicians. Yeah. And then just, when the guy does come back around, does he not notice the massive pile of smashed glass in the middle of the floor? He's probably confused. He's lost a few hours, isn't he? <laughs> but it's not even just him there. There's other people coming back. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the end. The ending peels a lot away. I know you said you liked it the first time around. I don't particularly remember having much of an issue. I I take an issue usually with the whole "I was there the whole time" ending reveal mm-hmm. when the character is more central, because it then just there's no way you can possibly explain the way his character acts yeah. for the rest of the film, knowing that. Like, there's no way you would be pursuing them in the car in the same way that he is in like really running them down because essentially your role then is to make sure it looks realistic enough. Yeah. But never to put any risk yeah. that they get caught. Like you should never be trying to stop these things happening in the, in quite the way that he is. The best, I mean, to my knowledge, the best, it was me. It was me revelation in any film is the, is Kaiser Souls in the usual suspects. Yeah, that and uh, Puss in Boots. Excuse me. <laughs> Puss in Boots does a great does a great version. In Shrek. No, no, the Puss in Boots film. Humpty Dumpty says, "I was always there, Puss." 
and then he's in all these little cat suits hiding in the background the whole time. In, he actually flies away in the end. He's picked up by a bird. He's picked up by a bird. Oh, I, no, I've not seen the <laughs> film, mate, to be honest, but fair enough. <laughs> the scene would kill you. Um, Banderas getting his own son movie. Good for him. I think he's on to the third now that's coming out this year. Well, they've made two. Yeah. And a TV series. Fucking hell, Shrek did some serious old work, didn't yeah. they? So they essentially made six Shrek films. Big puss. Um... <laughs> Bonnet, Bonnet Pacero. <laughs> that, is, that is actually a genuinely a great I was always there but yeah when <laughs> in the moment Fair it is enough. good and then you take the look and it's like well actually I'm not too sure about that no I'm not saying it's plausible but <laughs> no, I like, no no I liked it as a I or not like, like yeah. it as a reveal yeah we I think we've got we, different we've got different opinions I don't mind it, it was me. no I don't mind it either um I think when you watch it so close to something like we had the night before, then it, it doesn't hold up as well. And I think that something we've spoken about with other films when we've done this podcast is just how valuable low expectation can be. And the first time I saw this, I didn't have low expectation. I had no expectation. Um, they used to do these things at Cineworld where if you were in a limited card holder, then you could watch a film and it would be, you didn't know how early, but you knew it would be early. And they would put some pointers out, but it was harder to know the first couple of times around. Mm. And this was the first one that we went to. And it was literally a couple of months early. So there was no even early reviews that we'd seen or anything. And so it was pleasantly surprising. One, because you see the title of the film pop up after the trailers and you're like, okay, this isn't something that I immediately think looks shit. No, I... I do think a film like this you could make look phenomenal in a trailer. I've never, I, I, I don't ever watch, go back and watch a trailer because uh, at that point I've seen the film and I'm not that fussed. But I know you do occasionally. But I feel like this film you could yeah, have made, look, you could have made made look sensational in a trailer. You can really find the pocket of time in which the town comes out in the uh, "Not Afraid" by Eminem is used in the trailer. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. And that picture you've just sent me from Puss in Boots was, um, I don't know if you ever used to use Twitter on the actual browser rather than on your phone back in the day when you would have a skin on there as your, like the background of your profile. And mine was just uh, that picture like a hundred times. Okay. No, I I Googled it and you said it's a good scene and it's three minutes long. So once we finish recording, it's It's an excellent scene. Seeing him get carried away by birds flapping his arms, a little egg. Um, Yeah, my overall of this film is that it's very slick to start with and then starting with the kind of second act, um, the ruse that's been established at the start starts to unravel pretty quickly. Yeah. And the misdirection in retrospect, as, as you've pointed out, isn't done as well as you first think, but ultimately we aren't always here to judge it on the rewatch. The first watch can be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that followed just feels a bit clumsy on the second time around. So I don't want to yeah. sound like I'm being too negative because I liked it enough that I was raving about it after I came out of the cinema. And I think I saw it on opening week when the sequel came out. So. Well, that's it. Not, not every film's made to, some films aren't made to be rewatched. I know that's like a weird thing, but some films just aren't. Some films are there 
to entertain you for that moment in time. And if it does that, then it's done its job. And then you swap out Isla Fisher from Now You See Me and Lizzie Kaplan comes in for number two. Mm, yeah. I did check to see if there was any kind of reason she wasn't in. It's because she's pregnant at the time, Isla Fisher, so Fair enough. they clearly weren't prepared to wait. Well, I don't know if that was a studio thing or or not, but obviously I don't know that, but it's what it is, I suppose. The fact the first one comes out 2013 and the sequel actually comes out 2014 tells me... Oh, it's far from it. As confident as they perhaps said they were, it feels like, let's get this out ASAP before people forget about it. Like, really ride the wave of it. Well, they probably span it around to, as it finished its first cinema run or something, they probably started you, shooting them. We, we read before, haven't we, where after the first couple of test screenings... They yeah, yeah, they, they tentatively start to say, let's get the wheels in motion here. It feels like they've taken test screens and went, fuck it, we're, we're all in. Yeah, and Isla Fisher, looking at the timeline, maybe knew she was pregnant by the end of it, but wasn't going to be showing at that point. And so they finished filming, and then she says, oh, yeah, by the way. And everyone says, we're really happy for you, but we did have plans to start shooting the sequel in three months. Yeah, enjoy the little and we'll see in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> And is Sasha available, maybe, if he wants to come <laughs> back in? And they uh, steer away from that. So it isn't a film where, when I ask you at the end of the se- at the end of the season, the films that you didn't enjoy, this isn't going to be on your list? No. Are you going to ask me this at the end of 128 films and expect me to give you answers? You, well, usually there's, there's two or three that stand out, aren't there? After yeah, 128. But- I won't remember any of them. I think you will. I think there's some that you probably dislike enough that they'll have stood out. Maybe. I'm just having a... (laughs) Yeah, I think there will be a couple. I I honestly couldn't tell you any of the ones we've done recently. What? Uh, What, that you don't like? No. Cape Fear? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying like, like if you tell me the film, I can tell you my opinion. Eastern Promises. Oh yeah, fucking jeez, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> a history of violence. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't a great lover of it. American Psycho. Yeah. Hostage. Hostage. Was I on that pod with you? Yeah, yeah Bruce cool. Willis. You sure I was on that pod? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was up against the Untouchables. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Hostage, I don't remember because we spoke about it for about twelve minutes. I, don't, I think if you look back, we actually spoke about it for longer than the Untouchables. Oh right, I felt like we spoke about it for about, about twelve minutes. I promise, people, I do actually. I do try and pay attention to time wise when you're having fun and all that. My memory's just shocking, mate. To be honest. All right. Well, if you're ready, we'll get on to the judging. Yes, please. All right, which film did you prefer? The Town. And which do you think is more rewatchable? The Town. I agree on both counts. Uh, best moment slash scene? It's Jam dying. That shootout. I'm going to go for uh, the second heist. Fair enough. I'll also give you that. I'll also give you the Fergie speech. Yeah, I, or, that'll, that'll be my best quote, to be honest. But, yeah, or, but Affleck's or, or, response. 
all the opening heist action from Mince as well. Yeah. Such a good introduction. Yeah, we didn't even speak about that much, but yeah. looking at how things are going, I think we may have a second chance. Um, MVP. Doug. Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Perhaps depending on which version of the ending you take, but the one that we have in the theatrical cut. The one that we get in the film that yeah. you and I have just watched, he's clearly exactly. MVP. He's yeah. pissed off down to Florida living his best, well, his best life. Yeah, he's more than happy. Um, best side character? Fergie. Yeah, Ren is too much for a side character. Claire's probably too much for a side character. Yeah, Claire, I'll give you as a, Claire, I'll give you as a side character. However, the answer is still Fergie. <laughs> uh, better heist that's, crew. That's, like, that's that bordered on Seth Green levels of side character. <laughs> by the Maybe way. that'll be our benchmark moving forwards. I'm better heist an, crew. I'm not naming an award after Fergie, by the way. <laughs> Fergie-licious. Glamorous. <laughs> Better heist crew? Well, now you see me, because they get away with it. Do we know how much... Can you remember how much they get away with it now you see me? No, I can't. Is they take 3.5... Oh, no, the, first, the, the second time around is 100-something million. Okay, so now you see me, they get away with more. They get away with way more and none of them die, which is probably no. a big plus. Um, and track. Uh, I'll just point out that What You Say by Jason Derulo is playing when uh, the FBI agent sticks it on Blake Lively. <laughs> yeah, that does <laughs> Jason Derulo. Um, the time. Yeah, the time. Originality? No, you see me. I get, yeah, probably on the fact we've seen less magician films. <laughs> <I'll go with. laughs> How many other times have you seen a magician try and rob a bank? Yeah. Fair point. Um, bigger impact. Same. Ah, no, actually. It's got to be Now You See Me. I don't know. It, it is, mate. They made a sequel. It made more money, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Mm. I feel like The Town is quite a cult film. I was going to say there, one of them, like... And, I know it was Oscar noms and stuff, but I genuinely it... think if you polled 100 random people more yeah. people would say yes they've seen and or heard of it does now show again did. though that Affleck can direct and then he gets Argo he, to go and, he goes and does Argo yeah I'm talking cultural I don't I, I, I understand but she point, does get his I Oscar for if you polled 100 people they're saying yeah I've heard now you see me you know whereas the town I don't know like, I know said, a lot of people who just don't even know what it is no he said that but everyone that has seen it is like yeah that's an unreal film yeah I don't know anyone who's seen it but now it's okay it's either yeah in fact I don't, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about it no Affleck says that he was really worried about being one of those guys that's just Boston type um, Boston type mainly because he can actually do the accent and also just because of the run that things were going on at the time he says that Goodwill Hunting that him and Damon both thought they could showcase their Boston accents because very few people could, and they could just use it as almost like a showcase reel for them moving forward mm -hmm. to get bigger roles. He yeah. said after he's done this, he was very clear that he couldn't return and do a film in Boston for a while until this had died down, and maybe he didn't even know just how big this was going to be. Um, 
So he said, when you have a look, the next film I go and do is is all the way in Iran. So that probably sums up just how far away from Boston I wanted to be. Fair point. That's the opening scene. Uh, it's the town for me. The town. Uh, best ending? I go, now you see me. I'm going the town. I think you're yeah. disrespectful. You've just said, now you see me. I told you I liked the ending. I also <laughs> said, I also said, no, great, this is a, this is a nice version. I'm just, I, I, I still think disrespectful. Disrespectful um, is such a terrible use to word. It's a terrible word to use. Best chemistry? The town. I agree. And the town is going through to the next round. One, two, nine, four, the final mm. score. So, thank you for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. We'll be back next week with Harry Brown versus the next three days. Have you seen any of them? I've seen both. Have you? Yeah. I haven't watched Harry Brown in a long time. Talking about Lime, I went to Paris as a copy of Harry Brown. <laughs> I saw uh, the next three days. I've only seen it once. I saw it in the cinema and I was really impressed with it at the time. So I'm hoping it stands up to that. Your boy Neeson back in action. Yeah, and uh, Russell Crowe. Mm. Back so Russell Crowe this time around. So thank you again for listening. We'll be back. Goodbye. <laughs>